Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. This two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, January 23rd, we're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2-16. to 16. In today's text, St. Paul expresses his love and joy for the Corinthians, and he speaks about the effect of godly grief leading to repentance that was brought about by his previous letter. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Mark Bars. Pastor Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Great to be with you today. So we get started. Help us with some context. What should we know about this epistle and what Paul's been saying leading up to chapter 7? Well, those who have been listening to Sharper Iron regularly over the past couple of months have worked their way with you and with any number of other pastors through 1 Corinthians, and now partway through, almost halfway through, about halfway through 2 Corinthians, uh, two great letters, two letters of inspired scripture. And yet, I'll make this comment now, there's, there's another letter that we don't know of, or we know of it, but we don't have it in, in recorded form. Paul references that in his first letter, and and today we'll hear about the letter, the the letter that he says caused you grief or godly grief, which which I'm assuming is that strong and powerful letter we call First Corinthians, the issues that were going on in Corinth in a in a challenging place, a place filled with different different religions and philosophies and moralities or perhaps immoralities is the better is the better word there but the church the church was faithful this is where paul had spent 18 months on his second missionary journey he had he had developed a great love and affection for these people deep pastoral care i think i think this is where one of those places where paul the missionary is paul the pastor is Paul the pastor as well. And, and so, so he has addressed, in, in 1 Corinthians, he's addressed everything from uh, eschatology to, to incense to celibacy and marriage and lawsuits and food and drink and the Lord's Supper and spiritual gifts and unity and the body of Christ and the resurrection, that great 15th chapter. And, and the sad, what has been sad is that not only were these things happening within the visible body of Christ, but they were they were boasting about tolerating them. We're going to hear about boasting this morning in a very in a very different way, as Paul boasts about the Corinthians and Paul boasts about Titus as well. So when he when he writes this second letter, uh, there is some reconciliation that's happening. There is there is joy. Those of you who have a, a study Bible or a Bible that has added these paragraph headings. Oftentimes, this is called Paul's joy. In one, in one version, the New American Standard Bible, it says Paul reveals his heart, which, which I think is a, perhaps a little more, little more exact about what's going on in these, this chapter, most of this chapter. Hmm. Yeah, he, he talked about in the, I guess if you, if you skip over the text that we looked at yesterday, the matter of not being unequally yoked with unbelievers and the fact that, that light and darkness have no fellowship, 
you know, Paul has asked the Corinthians to to open their hearts wide because his heart and his fellow workers' hearts are wide open. And so I think it's a return to that theme as we start here in, in chapter 7, verse 2, similar, make room in your hearts for us. And again, he does. He opens his heart as a as a pastor. I, I like hearing you say that this is a, a letter that Paul writes as their pastor. Uh, Dr. Adam Kuntz was on the, the show a few episodes ago, and he he suggests that we might need to think of 2 Corinthians almost like another pastoral mm-hmm. epistle, uh, a mm-hmm. different sort than, than the Timothys and Titus, but you see that pastoral heart from Paul in this epistle in a way that, that you don't always see in, in the other letters he writes to congregations. Oh, that's 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 a very good point. And and how does a pastor how does a pastor write to his people? He writes uh, knowing the the relationship they have and trusting that relationship, grounded grounded in Christ, grounded in the gospel. So he can, as he wrote uh, a strong and even harsh letter because issues needed to be addressed. Now he's not apologizing for that. We'll hear that in just a moment. He doesn't regret. He doesn't regret sending that letter. He rejoices in what how God used that letter to bring to bring confession and forgiveness both into their life, the life of the church in Corinth and in their relationship as well. well let's go ahead and take a look at the text. We're beginning in Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse two. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted in every tur- at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter, So, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. That's our text for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 to 16. Pastor Bars, as our text starts today, Paul says, make room in your hearts for us. He does open his heart to them here. Uh, take us into those first couple of verses. 
make room in your hearts for us. Interesting that this is a this is plural for us. We have, we have, we have. Paul has those who have served with him, alongside of him. He's He's sent Timothy and he sent Titus back to Corinth over time to consult with or to carry his messages, to encourage and even, even speak the, the truth and love to those who are, who are in that place. Uh, make room in your hearts for us. It's an interesting, interesting expression. He doesn't say make room in your homes or in your, in your tents or whatever it might be, Priscilla and Aquila, the tent makers. He could have used that language, I suppose, but make room in your hearts, open your hearts to us. And, and does say uh, not to apologize, not to, not to cover his own, his own concerns that he has given offense, but simply that we have wronged no one and corrupted no one, take advantage of no one, nothing for personal gain, not treated anyone, not treated anyone unjustly. But there is, there is a language of, of unity that continues on in that, in that next verse because of how he says, you are in our hearts, open your hearts to us, you are in our hearts. And then what I think is baptismal language when he says uh, to die together and to live together. Uh, Romans chapter 6 has that strong, rich, powerful language about dying with Christ, being buried with Christ, being raised with Christ. In his first letter in chapter 12, in the first letter of to the Corinthians in chapter 12, he speaks uh, so, so wonderfully about the body of Christ and each one belonging to the others, each one uh, contributing to the life to the life of the church. So, I, for I said before that you are in our hearts, he continues to affirm that relationship. He acts with he acts with with great boldness. He has chosen to uh, to be the pastor to them, to speak words that aren't easy to write or to deliver, uh, but necessary necessary words and you and I and other pastors who may be listening to this know how how challenging that is to ask someone. We need to talk. Uh, I'd like to. I'd like to sit down with you. There's some issues. There's some issues that that need to be addressed. So he can act with he can act with boldness. He can do so because because Christ is at the center of all of this, and and he's going to be used by God and desires to be used by by the Lord of the Church to bring. To bring unity, unity in a in a place where there has been notorious lack of unity, and and trusting and rejoicing that the unity is there because Christ has made it so. He has united his people once more in baptism to him and to each other. There's, there's I could move off in a little tangent here, but just for a moment, that that language of of baptism and belonging. Yes, to Christ, but also belonging to each other. I, I've had conversations over the years well, with people who say something, well, I was baptized Methodist, or I was baptized Roman Catholic, or I was baptized Lutheran. I said, well, well, it may have happened in a Methodist church, or it may have happened in a Roman Catholic church, or it, or it, may, have, uh, been, or it may have been in a Lutheran church, but you were baptized into the body of Christ. That's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And, and this is what stands behind. They've heard those words. They've read those words. They've, they've received that letter from him. So we die together. We live together. 
and and the pride that he has, he will come back to this when when he reminds them that that he didn't uh, he didn't give all kinds of uh, lists of here's the issues, Titus. When you go back, he'll say in verse fourteen, whatever boasts I made to him about you, that he didn't say, boy, they've got problems, Titus. Do you need to go and crack the whip and and get some make something happen there? But he does. He can act with boldness and with pride. But now I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. I think the hour there is significant that he doesn't say in, in your affliction, in your issues. This is a, a shepherd caring for his sheep, a pastoral, a pastoral letter. And now that he is, now that the positive results have been reported back from Titus, as Titus has returned, he can say, I am overflowing with joy. Mm. Talk a little bit more about the the dying together and living together. Are you connecting that you were connecting that to the baptismal language Paul has in Romans six, and then the way that he writes about the body of Christ in First Corinthians twelve, which I think are, are, is wonderful. You know, when I when I think about the unity in a, in a congregation, we often see it and talk about it in the at the Lord's table. Paul talks about that in First Corinthians as well. But you know, to see that unity in the font also, I think, is a a very important thing. And even this language of of living together and dying together, which has happened for all Christians in the font, we we live that out in our congregational lives. You know, I mean, when we, we die together, we we join together at, at Christian funerals to to mourn and hope together. We we celebrate together at the birth of children, at the the weddings of of couples. Right? We we actually do these things, and it flows from that baptismal identity that we we all share in Christ. And the way it's phrased, maybe our sometimes our our English translations they they try hard and but but together he says together we die, together we live. They both have this interesting little mm. Greek prefix that that emphasizes that it's it's a togetherness with them. We die, we die together. We weep together and we rejoice together. From again from 1 Corinthians from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When, therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, mm-hmm. uh, when when I, you know this, I've been at this congregation for a long time, and I and I look across the congregation, and I see widows and widowers, and I see I see parents who grieve the death of children, and and yet our dying together is is a dying in Christ. It's not just a physical dying, but it's a it's a it's a death to to all that we were, uh, all that all that Christ has taken away and borne for us, and then given us given us hope and joy to surround each other with uh, with with a vibrant with a vibrant faith that trusts trusts in Christ in in dying and in living. Uh, there's oh I, I won't turn to the hymn in living and in dying him confess we are the Lord safe about. in God's faithfulness that wonderful wonderful hymn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Talk talk a little bit more in this section also about the the thought of the pride that Paul has in the in the Corinthians as he expresses it, and even because this is something that comes up in a couple places in this epistle, where where Paul, I mean, it almost sounds like he's boasting a little bit about himself, and and here to boast about the congregation. So you know, elsewhere Paul will say, "Don't mm-hmm. boast except in the Lord Jesus Christ." So what? What is the proper sort of pride that a, a pastor has about his congregation and, and a congregation would have about their pastor? Well, I wonder, I wonder what, what might be going on in that is to assure them, uh, to use language that sounds maybe a little bit odd, but to assure them that, 
that he holds them in his heart, or we hold that you are in our hearts. And and we do have we do have pride, not not pride because you're you and Corinth are better than the Thessalonians or better than the Galatians, and he's not ranking them, but he, but he does want them to know that he that he gives thanks for them and and this God given this God given joy. Sure, I have I have great pride, and and I don't know at, at times I suppose he might he might say that to another to another part of the body of Christ. They need that they need that affirmation. Not that they're holier than others, but They've been they've been humbled, yes. They've been humbled by by the word of the law, and, and the gospel has brought healing and forgiveness and and hope to them. And so, what what pastor wouldn't say? I have I have great pride because you have responded as the as the spirit blows and does his work and, and that wind of the of the spirit that nurtures faith and and increases faith. That's. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful gift. Do, do I have great pride for the people of God at Crown of Life Lutheran Church on the north side of San Antonio? Absolutely, absolutely. But it's not because they're better than any other congregations, because God has done great things among us and through us and with us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there and there's the the joy that we share together and the pride that we have in the Lord's work among us. And that that is something certainly to boast in the work of the Lord. That he accomplishes among his pastors and people. As Paul continues then into to verse 5, he talks a little bit about some of the, the background of his ministry there, not only in Corinth, but throughout Macedonia, some of the, the troubles that he had experienced. We get a, a reference now to the coming of Titus and a return to the language of comfort that was very prevalent in chapter 1 of this epistle. It returns here in, in this section as well. Help us into this this next paragraph. Maybe we'll we'll save the the matter of the letter mm-hmm. for a little bit, but let's let's work well, our way I'd, up to that. I'd like to look at verse five. This, this fighting without and fear within. Uh, once once more, it's it's interesting because uh, the Greek can be more can be more expressive, and it's sort of like outside fighting, inside fear, and the the way the way it is impacting Paul as as a servant of Christ as a as a missionary servant a pastor a pastor servant but but that the church's fight is facing opposition and it always has and it always will i think in our in our day and age we sometimes think that we have uh, the corner on the market and the, how much the church is being assaulted we we have no idea even right now uh, what our fellow christians in in Sri Lanka or in or in Ethiopia, wherever they might be, what what they are facing. But but the reality that the church is, even though the gates of hell will not prevail against her, that that the church has outside fightings uh, against against the people of God and inside fears. Uh, I wonder I wonder about the fears that that Paul is identifying here, uh, this concern about. Even where has Titus? He's been gone too long, and and mm. the timeline for Corinthians and and the communications and the travel and the letters is is so interesting that it seems to happen in in one year, and that's that's almost mind-boggling for us. I mean, we we can communicate so readily, so easily, so quickly, sometimes right. to our detriment because we we're not as thoughtful about it when we when we do that, yeah, but. But here is where what has happened to Titus? Why hasn't Titus returned as quickly? And 
is he also carrying, this will go on and as you move through the letter a little bit more, is he carrying money with him? Is he, is he in danger of, 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 being, of being robbed or assaulted or something? So God comforts the downcast. Comfort is one of these great words. Comfort is here. Joy and rejoicing are here. Grief and grieving are here. They're, they're over and over again in this, in this short little chapter. God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. So my true child in a common faith is how he speaks when he writes to Titus in his letter. So pride in Titus, not because Paul has chosen so well and picked this man to be a pastor in the church, but uh, the comfort. And not only by his coming, the, the coming, verse 7, the coming of Titus, the return of Titus, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. Uh, this does suggest, I think, some in our in our hearers, they would say, well, wait a minute, that sounds that sounds really familiar. And and the words are quite similar to what what they've often heard at the beginning of a of a funeral service. Perhaps as I I would often use this even before we even before we process into the sanctuary. This is from the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And that word comfort is the, is the word that Jesus uses in the gospel, especially in the gospel of John, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, the parakletos. So over and over again, the one who stands alongside of us is, is the comforter. Uh, the, the comforting one, he actually says that in, in verse 6, but God who comforts the downcast. Uh, the form of that is God the comforting one. And I love that. I love that expression. And it, it was true for the Corinthians. It's true for it's true for me. It's true for every pastor. It's true for every member of Christ's church. God, the comforting one, has has comforted us. No, not Titus reappearing. I don't know, getting off the ship or coming over the hillside, but by serving us with his gifts, by by gathering us as his people, by giving us a community in which we in which we live. Mm. The way you talked about the word uh, comfort, you used the the language of coming alongside is, is that the is that like the word parakaleo is that the coming alongside or calling alongside is that the i think that's a that's a really strong image for what it means to to comfort that that as as a pastor i would come alongside as a fellow christian i would come alongside and ultimately to know that the one that comes alongside is is our Lord Himself, right? God, the I mean, this is you know, this is this is airing in during the season of Epiphany as we think about our our Lord revealing mm. Himself. We're recording during the season of Advent, leading up to Christmas, when we think about that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The fact that God is is the one who comes alongside to comfort, and that we then share that comfort by coming alongside. I think that's a, a really important thing for us as Christians. And comfort is 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 that tangible. Sometimes it's it's about I need to say the right thing. Uh, pastors, we we wrestle with that constantly, especially when somebody is grieving or hurting, somebody is broken. I just have to find the right words. But 
but to be alongside God, the comforting one who is alongside of us in Christ, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us, who has come uh, to bring comfort, comfort to my people. And, and so his, his people, Paul was comforted. Paul was comforted. Titus has brought comfort to the Corinthian Christians. Uh, it's this mutual uh, giving and sharing and receiving that, that is happening. He comforted us, Paul, uh, Paul says of Titus, not only by his coming, the comfort with which he was comforted by you as they, as they received him and received him as, as, a, as a servant of Christ and, and for a godly, positive, gospel-centered, gospel-centered reason. So when Titus reports this to Paul, he can rejoice. He can rejoice still more, even more. He can rejoice. So why can he rejoice? Uh, he has concern. I'm moving on to verse eight for a little bit here. Uh, I made you grieve let's, with. Go ahead. Sorry, we've Pastor got Apple. just. Well, just to, to give you give it get us started on the conversation of the letter. We got about two minutes here before the break, so get us started, and we'll pick up more on the other okay, side. Okay, absolutely. So the letter, uh, it's referred to. It's referred to previously in in chapter in chapter two when when he says uh, I wrote to you, but now he says, uh, he calls it my letter. Uh, is it possible that there's an unknown letter that, that was between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians? Yes, it's a possibility, but, but I'm, uh, I think I have to take this just at, at simpler and plain face value that he's referring to that, that first letter that we, call, that we call 1 Corinthians, even though 1 Corinthians references in chapter 5 a letter unknown, not recorded as, as Holy Scripture, but he does. Um, I, if I made you grieve with my letter, that letter that dealt with the, the, the brokenness that was being experienced in the Corinthian congregation and how Paul spoke to, I listed a number of those before, how he attempted by the, by the Spirit of God to speak truth and love to those situations. So did I grieve? I did not regret that I have sent this letter. Interesting that regret will show up again in chap in verse ten with salvation without regret. Uh, we'll 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 deal with that in a little bit after the break. So he so he's written a letter. He's written a pastoral letter. He's written a letter of great concern. And did it grieve you? Did it grieve me to send it? That I had to send it. Did it grieve you? But only for a while only for, it's actually for, the, the word there is only literally for an hour, for a little while, uh, because God was wow. using that letter. Yeah. Mm, yeah, so we'll talk more about how the Lord used that letter and what Paul says about this repentance that it brought among the Corinthians on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Mark Bars this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, January 23rd. We're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 to 16 with Pastor Mark Bars. He serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, prior to the break, we were talking about the letter that Paul references. As you said, 1 Corinthians seems like a very likely candidate for the letter that he's talking about. This letter caused them grief, but he says he doesn't regret it. This grief only lasted a little while. I think you said it was just an hour in the Greek. I talk more about Paul's conversation about the effect of this letter and, and why that was not something that maybe it's not like he wanted to cause them grief, but he was glad that the letter had the effect that it did. Well, I'm going to introduce something else here. Uh, two days ago, many of our listeners heard an Old Testament reading from the book of Jonah on the uh, third Sunday after the Epiphany. And there's an—that's just a— interesting and sometimes whoa kind of story but but so here's here's what what is what does Jonah proclaim he says he says yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown and you know God has sent them there to call them to repentance and so so my my wondering then is hmm did did Jonah ever write a letter back to Nineveh and say God used that proclamation whoa more than I ever thought he would. You know, there's more to the story of Jonah not to get into right now, but to express then his rejoicing, to say, I, I rejoice with you. I'd like to think that that's so. I just I think I, just because that was the Sunday, the, the Old Testament reading just from two days, just from two days ago. I, is, that, is that a crazy connection? Is that okay? I don't know. I don't. Jon, Jonah. He's a. I don't know if if Jonah would have wanted to talk to the Ninevites after everything <laughs> went down with with Jonah by the end of it. <laughs> but it would be wonderful if it was the case. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> so so this this letter that this letter that causes grief. I I check some of the other some of the other English translations. Sometimes I'm I'm commonly using the the English Standard Version. And I think that's the, that's the text you've been reading, of course. Uh, the, the New American Standard uses sorrow instead of grief. And, and I, I think I like that better, uh, maybe because, because grief seems to be so often uh, the, grief of, the grief of death and, and almost, a, almost a despair, where sorrow suggests more of a, at least in my mind, more of a, a lingering uh, sadness and what what happens with this what happens with the sorrow how do i come out of sorrow and and yes there's they can be the same thing but for some reason i i'm just liking the word sorrow i made you sorrow with my letter now that letter caused you that letter caused you sorrow um, but it did not change well this goes back to paul the pastor isn't it because you're in our you're in our hearts and and I have great pride in you. Now he can say that, he can write that because how God how God used 
the letter. He it uses godly grief in in the uh, ESV once more. It's in verse nine. It's in verse. It's in verse ten. It's in verse ten and eleven. So it's three times. That too is an interesting phrase. It is. It is a. Um, it is a is a a grief that or sorrow that is according to the will of God. So uh, making it into an adjective, godly, maybe doesn't quite express it. It's it's grief from God, and and that's a good thing. At least it definitely was for the Corinthians, and grieving not because of not because of a loved one died or a car accident that that took. Um, the lives of children. I mean, it could be those can be all of all kinds of appropriate reasons for grieving, but grief according to God, sorrow according to God, even even sent from God. And then it says it produces, it works toward. It has the uh, it has both of those words. It, it produces. They're they're actually slightly different words, but one is one is working toward. God is using it to take people to repentance, which will lead then to salvation. They will hear forgiveness. They will hear that Christ's, Christ's forgiveness is, is full and complete, and it is and it is absolutely certain. But the contrast is that worldly grief or, or the sorrow of the world, it works out something, and it doesn't work towards something. It works out something. It's a subtle difference there. And in the in the language that Paul uses, and what does it work towards? Well, only only towards death. It it doesn't it doesn't bring repentance, and then repentance would bring salvation, which gives joy to those. Uh, re, restore to me the joy of your salvation, David. David prays in in Psalm fifty one. That's what that's what this godly grief has done. This is how God has has delivered His message through. His servant Paul, through the letters that he wrote, through the Holy Spirit inspiring, inspiring those letters to the communication, to the relationship that that Titus could share and and perhaps uh, express differently than than written words, express why this letter had to be delivered and and what it meant and and what what God would work through it and how he would how it, what it would work toward the salvation that leads this repentance that leads to salvation. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about the the attitude that Paul expresses about knowing that his letter has caused grief and yet being willing to cause that. I think that's something that many Christians, pastors and people alike struggle with. And most most pastors tend to be pretty nice guys. We don't like to make people mad or we're not out to make people mad at us or to cause them grief. And I think similarly Christians are not out to cause grief in the world when they speak the truth, even though the truth does that. And so sometimes that that can be a, a stumbling block for pastors, for Christians alike. In speaking the truth, we're afraid this is going to hurt someone, it's going to cause them sorrow. And so we might that might be a stumbling block to us saying it. How do we how do we overcome that? How do we uh, again, keep our, our focus on on what Paul has his focus on here in in a willingness to cause grief for the sake of something something more. Well, you're absolutely right that I would be concerned with any pastor or any Christian who says, "Well, I I just love I just love hurting people because I know God's going to bring some healing out of it." But no, it it 
it grieved Paul. It gave Paul sorrow to, to write that necessary letter and, and to address serious issues that, that, the, that were breaking the unity of the body of Christ. L Luther does something interesting with this, and I don't, I don't have the exact source for it, but he, but he uses, he actually borrows the language of, of the Good Samaritan story, and, and, he, and he says hmm. it's, it's as though at first he pours, pours this wine, this sharp wine on the, on the wounds, and it, ouch, right? It, it's, it's cleansing it. It's, it's, it's an antiseptic, and you know, whatever, whatever wounds anyone has had, and I've not had great wounds, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to go that direction, but, but to see people hurt, and yet for a necessary reason that the doctor applies, applies that medicine, and the wine that, that the Samaritan uh, poured on the wounds by the side of the road there between Jerusalem and Jericho. But then, but then oil from, from the wine to the oil, oil which, which soothes and, and it, it, it's the cleansing has happened and now the soothing that, that is this some of the language, is this, is, can this be borrowed to give us an image of what Paul is doing and, and how it was absolutely necessary for him to pour sharp wine on the wounds. It, it grieved him to do so, but it was, but it was necessary to do so. And, and the joy of them receiving that and, and the oil of forgiveness, the, the oil of, of repentance unto salvation that leads to salvation. Yeah, and I think that kind of approach to speaking the Word of God comes from a trust in what God says about His Word, that when he sends his word out, it does not return to him empty, but it accomplishes the thing that he purposes. And, and his purposes are to bring to repentance over our sins and then to faith in Christ. I, I really appreciated the, 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 the note that you had about the, the word godly, that it's really you know a, a sorrow, a grief that comes from God or maybe even worked by God, because I do think that's a, a very helpful thing to bring out. It, it reminded me of a, of a passage from Lamentations chapter 3, actually, uh, where, where in, in the book of Lamentations, in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 33, uh, Jeremiah says that the Lord does not, and a lot of English translations say willingly afflict, but very literally it says, he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. So when the Lord does cause grief, which comes up elsewhere in the letter or the, the book of Lamentations, that's not what's at his heart. He does that, but for the purpose of doing something else. Sometimes Lutherans will talk about the alien work of God right. in, in speaking his law and calling us to repentance, and then the, the proper work in, in raising us to life from the gospel. And so I, I think, you know, at least the way you, you brought that out from 2 Corinthians 7 reminded me of that, I think, very important passage, that, that when the Word of God speaks sharply to us and is that, that wine that, that serves as the antiseptic, that's not the Lord's final aim and goal. He's not doing that from his heart as if he enjoys right. it, but he's doing it for the sake of, of giving you the, the healing balm, the oil, the, the gospel. So keep us, uh, keep us moving here that, in, that God in works 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Yeah. yeah. So Jeremiah says God acts from his heart, and Paul, Paul echoes that. So as, yeah. a, as a servant of Christ, as a steward of the, of the mysteries of God, there's, there's one more little thing about this regret when in verse 8, 
I do not regret it, though I did regret it. <laughs> I, I, did, I did because it, it hurt me to have yeah. to do it, I, I think is what, is what Paul is saying there. But it leads to salvation without regret. And, and simply that, that uh, it, it's, a, it's a little, it has that little alpha at the beginning of that, of that Greek word, which, is a, which becomes a negation. Uh, so it is unregrettable. Uh, salvation. It is there is there is no there is no regret because God has worked has worked in all of this. God has done his God has done both his alien work that he might do his proper work that he might that he might speak his his. It's it's Jesus looking at the crowds and and having compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and 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 the shepherd who must must discipline his sheep uh, who must yeah, pour pour wine on their wounds at times uh, as he as he cares for them uh, as he as he gathers them as he as he calls them to as he calls them to safety so there is there is joy there is joy over one over one sinner who repents and and there is uh, the fellowship of of the uh, i must call my friends and neighbors together and we must rejoice and be glad my, my sheep is back my coin is found my son my son has returned home. Keep keep us moving here in in chapter seven into verses eleven. Paul continues to talk about what this godly grief or godly sorrow has produced in the Corinthians. Hmm. It has it, it, this this godly grief has has produced. I mean, in in simple terms, and we need to say this: it's pointed them to Christ and to His forgiveness. <clears throat> but but the uh, the sh- excuse me. <clears throat> There is no, um, there is no self-justification, but but rather that no excuses, but it brought you to it brought you to repentance and uh, eagerness to clear yourselves. These these are strong words in verse eleven. Uh, these are these are the ways that they they could have responded and they did hear it, and yet once more, what is the what is the godly grief? What is the grief used by God? The sorrow used by God. What does it do? Uh, you you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. You didn't push. You didn't push back. This didn't become a. This didn't become a a, a battle. Well, don't tell us this again, Paul. You you already told us. You've already told us when you were here preaching with us. You cautioned us. You 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 proclaimed the word to us, and and yet and yet we we chose. At least some of us chose. Some of us chose to uh, to abandon that and and to act and live live otherwise to that and still claim to be Christians. That that's the danger. That's the danger of it. But you proved yourself innocent, not not by not by saying, oh Paul, you exaggerated. We didn't really what really wasn't that bad, but because it brought you to repentance. It it brought you to the to the hearing of of the certain forgiveness that Christ has won for you and and for us. So I didn't do it in verse 12. I didn't do it for the sake of the one who did wrong. Now that's a singular one there, uh, but but it could be, I think, the one who did wrong, not only the one who had the ancestral relationship with his father's wife, but it could be the one who who also who also said to his to his brother, I eat foods because I have freedom in the gospel and 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 I'm a I'm a stronger Christian than you are, or who condemned him for for eating those foods because because he was the weaker, weaker the brother, the one who did the wrong, it was not or not only 
for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, because, because Paul the pastor is concerned, not just he's not just wagging his finger at those who were doing things, living wrong. He's it 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 brings hurt and disunity to the body of Christ. So some have some have suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness uh, and your earnestness is a is a is a plural your earnestness. It's the entire Corinthian congregation uh, that it might be revealed your earnestness for us and for the message that we brought, the, the message that calls to repentance and that delivers and delivers the good news, the good news of forgiveness. It is, it's actually revealed. It's, it's put on public display. It's, it's made obvious. This is, this is why, why does Paul boast about the Corinthians? Uh, because because they they can be a great witness to to the rest of the body of Christ as to what as to what God's word does as you said earlier God's word does always does what he sends it out always sends sends it out to do and once more he comes back to comfort therefore because of this we are comforted we he and his fellow workers and and I'll I'll dare to say he speaks for us as well. He speaks for the broad, the broader body of Christ. Uh, how we rejoice once more. First Corinthians twelve, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, uh, sorrowing with those who sorrow. But but he joins himself to all of those of, of generations to come who are, who are comforted by what God has done and uh, how His work has been carried out. Now, as, as he moves on then from that, that comfort that he has with his fellow workers, that and surely the Corinthians share in as well, again, hearing from Paul this second time, he comes back to the visit of Titus and the joy that that brought and some of the things that, that come from that visit. What, what do we find out in this last paragraph of our text? So we rejoice still more at the joy of, of Titus. This, this, this redundancy and of, uh, of piling on one, one joy on top of another we rejoice at the joy of Titus. When Titus returns, uh, I, it wouldn't have been wonderful to to have some record of of how he reported that and and how he said and 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 let me tell you about this part. Let me tell you how they responded to uh, to this this meat offered to idols and how they how they've changed their attitude towards each other about that because that that's that's the that's what was happening so often among the Corinthians, how they were judging, how they were judging each other, or the lawsuits that were going on, and how they've reconciled with each other, and they've they've not gone to the public courts. So Titus has brought, has had joy in returning to Paul to relay this uh, this message and the effect of this message of the letter, the letter that caused grief, uh, the letter that that Paul had regret about sending or needing to send, and. His spirit has been refreshed by you all. Uh, this is this is the this is the boasting and this is the pride in in this in this congregation, uh, a congregation that, I mean, when you read when you read the letters to the church in Revelation, uh, they're they're not all the same, and not everyone, not every congregation can be and should be and is commended, but here and for. For the church of every age, not just for us now, let's to hold on to this now, but for the church of every age, to know to know the the joy, uh, the joy that happens when 
when once more back to Luke, back to Luke 15, when the sheep is found, when the coin is found, when the lost son, when the lost son staggers down the road and is in, is in wrapped up in his father's arms. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the the beautiful things about having both of these letters to the church in Corinth to see to see the way that the word of the Lord worked there. When you you read the first letter and the second one as well, you do see that this is a congregation that is plagued by many troubles, and yet throughout both epistles, Paul treats them as Christians. He writes to them as Christians, and he has great joy in the fact that God is at work among his Christians, even as their their sins are evident in a number of ways, still the Lord's word is at work. And I'm reminded of the way that we, we speak in the Lutheran confessions about the way we give thanks for the saints, and we, we rejoice at the mercy that God has shown to, to the saints. So if we think about the, the church in Corinth as one of those examples of the saints, here's a congregation that, that any of our congregations today can take great joy in the fact that that God was at work in a congregation that was as troubled as Corinth. Thanks be to God, He will surely be at work in in my congregation, no matter how troubled it may be. And we don't know, do we? We don't know the people who are listening. We don't know what what congregations there might be hurt. There might be pastors <clears throat> who are hurting right now. There are people of God who are hurting. And oh, my prayer that that there could be. There could be this the same kind of joy uh, restored and and renewed by by God's work. So so I take that and I'm going to take that in slightly different direction. I I made I made notes to myself uh, about who has been my Titus, who has been who has been the one mm. that God used uh, under certain circumstances to uh, to give me give me comfort and and maybe relay a message to me, maybe something that I. I was struggling with or something that that I was uncertain about something that that whether it was here or whether it was in in my own in my own life and my own ministry and and God put a Titus who came to me and and who shared uh, who shared what God is really doing maybe things I wasn't aware of maybe things I I didn't want to see I was too stubborn to see or whatever whatever could be going on in my own in my own heart and and it refreshed it refreshed my spirit. And I suspect, Pastor Apple, there's been a Titus. There've been Tituses for you too, uh, along the way. Someone who has who has been who has been that Titus up in Godfrey when you were down here in, in Smithville, Texas, where and and along those years that God used a Titus yeah. to to bring comfort and and then resulting in joy. Sure. Yeah, we, we talk about in the again in the Lutheran confessions this thought of the the consolation of the brethren that as as we join together and share God's word with each other, there is this this comfort that comes uh, to know that you know we have brothers sisters in Christ who are who are reminding us of the word of God, bringing us the you know the necessary sorrow at times, but then for the sake of, of bringing us the joy in the gospel, to have that consolation and the of the brethren within the church is is no small thing for sure, and. It, to see how how that works out for for Paul with Titus is a, a wonderful thing. We've got about three minutes here, Pastor Bars. Anything from the text that we we've missed that you want to pick up and, and help us to to wrap things up today? Sure. There's this boasting in verse 14 again. The boasts I made to him to Titus about you. I think I said this a little bit before. He didn't he didn't send him with a laundry list and say, tell them this, tell them this, tell them how mad I am at them, how disappointed I am with them, but I was not. I was not put to shame, because because 
you demonstrated the the power of the the gospel, the the working of the the working of the spirit. The what is the body of Christ that that you have been able to affirm? Uh, so our boasting before Titus was proved to be true, and not that not that you and I uh, are given the charge to go out and 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 brag about our people, but but sometimes that affirmation uh, to to be heard and to be spoken by their pastors is a good thing. And I'm, I'll say this, the Tituses that have been within this congregation to offer me affirmation in times of, in times of struggle. And, and what a blessing, what a blessing that has been. His affection for you, verse 15, is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all. So Titus, the servant Maybe it seems as though he's really only a messenger for, for Paul. He's much more than that. He, he becomes a servant to the greater church in his own ministry. This was a particular aspect of that ministry. You received him with fear and trembling. Maybe you were concerned and, and you knew that, that godly grief, uh, the sorrow from God, was, was going to do its work. And, and yet you sent him, I think they had to send him back back to Paul and he sent him back with, with, great, with great joy. I have complete confidence in you. I, I dare to see the best in you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, mm. that great resurrection chapter, I, I, I guess I see this echoed in, in, even in that simple verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And I like to sing, and I'm going to sing uh, the first and the fourth stanzas of Lord Jesus Christ, the church's head. I think this fits with, with what Paul has said to the church then and now. Lord Jesus Christ, the church's head, you are her one foundation, in you she trusts. Before you bows and waits for your salvation, built on this rock secure, your church shall endure, though all the world decay and all things pass off. Way, oh, hear, oh, hear us, Jesus. And for your gospel, let us dare to sacrifice all treasure. Teach us to bear your blessed cross, to find in you all pleasure. Oh, grant us steadfastness in joy and distress, lest we, Lord, you forsake. Let us by grace partake of endless joy and gladness. Pastor Mark Bars is pastor at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. He has been helping us today to study 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 to 16. Pastor Bars, thanks for being our guest today. You're very welcome. Glad to be with you. The Word of God in speaking the law 
often produces sorrow, sorrow over our sins. But God at his heart is after more than that. He is out to bring us to repentance so that he might bring us the joy of salvation, the joy that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have that salvation, salvation without regret in our Lord Jesus, who has died, risen, and ascended for us. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 2 Corinthians 7, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.